This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Kickin' Life Podcast. Yours truly, Kickin' Life Guru Master Rich Grogan. Our mission is to inspire you to believe in yourself, to overcome challenge, battle through adversity, and live your best kickin' life. It's like I'm giving you a kick in life so you can live your best life. So saddle up, buckle up, and here we go. Greetings, everyone. Your Kickin' Life Guru Master Rich Grogan here. Hope you're having a fantastic day. So, How's the week going? Hopefully it's going great. Hopefully you had a chance to tune into our last podcast. We had some great stuff going on there. Quite a bit of feedback with the uh, the Two Wolves story. I'll give you a brief recap of that, but uh, you're going to have to go back and listen to the other podcast to catch the whole story. And uh, basically, essentially, it's a, a story of an old Indian chief talking to his grandson about the two wolves that live inside of all of us. And those two wolves, one is comprised of fear and anxiety and scarcity all the things that kind of hold you back. And the other wolf is comprised of ambition, desire, passion to be your very, very best. And goes on to talk about both sides, both wolves. And in the end, the grandson says, well, Grandpa, how do I know which wolf is going to lead my life? And the old Indian chief simply says, the one you feed. So reflect on that a little bit. If you want to hear the full story, like I mentioned, it's in our previous podcast. Check that out. But that kind of ties into everything we want to talk about today. And it's simply that. What you feed or what you focus on, and you hear me talk about this all the time, is what magnifies and what you're going to have more of. You focus on positivity, you're going to have more positivity. You focus on negativity, you're going to have more negativity. And it's whatever you bring into your life, what you continuously focus on, what you bring to the forefront is what you're going to have more of. And that's a part of your brain called uh, the, the subconscious mind, but in the subconscious mind, it's called your reticular activating system. And that's kind of almost like that genie in a lamp, if you will. It's whatever you continue to think about all the time, that genie is going to give you more and more and more of. Now, how the subconscious mind works is it, it has no biased opinion on anything. It, it knows no good, no bad. All it knows is what you think about all the time, it's going to try and reward you by giving you more and more and more of that. And uh, we've all met people that you ask them, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm having one of those days. Well, you run into them again. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, another one of those days. Oh, it's one of those Mondays. And every time you run into the person, they're having, quote, quote, one of those days. Well, after a while, you begin to think, man, <laughs> I think one of those days is every day. And uh, the opposite would be, hey, how you doing today? Hey, I'm having one of those days. It's a great day today. Wow, that would be a change, wouldn't it? Well, once again, if you get in a routine and a habit and you condition yourself to, oh, it's one of those days, one little small thing sets you off and now suddenly it's one of those days, well, all you're doing is telling your mind that it's going to go back and replay what you've done before is going to feed on past experiences, and one of those days is going to be one of those days, going to be one of those days, and it's going to be one of those days. So try, when you, before you say that, oh, one of those days, stop and think, what's really been bad or wrong with this day? How could I change this day? And, you know, Winston Churchill talks about attitude is that small thing that makes such a big difference. And you can reflect back on anything in your life and think back to what little change could you have made here or there that could have impacted the day. So as we move forward today, I want to talk about uh, a couple of little stories about my life, especially the, the uh, previous five years. And I've mentioned before, in the last five years, 
I've read more books, listened to more, I'm talking close to 100 books, listened to literally thousands of hours of audio books, motivational speeches, inspirational uh, messages, TED Talks, and I've attended on how many different conferences. And the whole goal with that is to continue to surround myself with people that are you know, people that I want to be like, people that I that are achieving the goals and success and levels of uh, uh, inspiration with others that I want to achieve. So that's where you have to surround yourself with those type of people. And it's real simple, real, real simple. Think about this. You are a percentage of the four to five people you surround yourself with the most. So if you surround yourself with people that continue to pull you down or hold you back or have you lower the standards you have set for yourself, well, you know what? You're going to be just like those people. However, on the other side, if you surround yourself with motivated people, people that are uh, uh, ambitious, have desires, passion, want to, you know, take on the world, want to change the world, well, you know what? They're going to drive, motivate, and inspire you to set your standards a little bit higher in order to continue pushing forward to achieve those standards. And I like to call that the engines or the anchors. Obviously, the anchors are the ones that pull you down and hold you down and keep you down. Or the engines are the one that continue to push you forward, move you forward. Uh, you know, when you feel like giving up or you feel like, oh, man, this is too tough. Oh, I'm having one of those days. They're there to kind of call you out and say, hey, well, let's, let's think about how we can change this day instead of just writing it off as one of those days. And as we know, every single day is one less day we're going to have. Of course, well, of course, we know that. Everybody knows that. But I want you to really think about that. This time you're listening right now. That's why I work extremely hard to bring as much great information as I can to you to share the success I've had and then also the continued success that I'm pursuing to help motivate you to understand that, look, I I know time is a sacred thing. So this 45 minutes that we're talking, you're never going to get it back, but hopefully it charges and energizes you to the point where, man, that was a well-spent 40, 45 minutes as opposed to, oh, well, that time's gone. We are never getting it back, ever and ever, ever. So think about that. Once today is over, that day's gone. You're never going to get it back. It's one less day you have on this planet to fulfill your purpose, to live your dreams, desires, passions, to be the person you were born to be. Now, what are you born to do? I I don't know. You know what? And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to touch on this in a minute, my last five years there. I never really knew what the heck I was supposed to do. I mean, it's tough. But here's the thing, kind of the genie in the bottle again I promise you, it's right there. It is right there, but you continue to you overlook it because you're looking for this this big this big boom. What is this? It's got to be something. It's got to be something. It's got to be something. Well, my thing is, I enjoy talking. I, I truly do. I go back to when I was a kid on my report cards. It was well, I was, oh, it called me Richie. <laughs> it was Richie this, Richie that. As a matter of fact, my parents still call me Richie to this day, and some friends, I was on a, a radio show not too terribly long ago, a buddy of mine, uh, Rick Fowler's got uh, the Rick Fowler show, and he still calls me Richie, because I've, I've known him since like second grade, but uh, anyway, there, uh, every one of my report cards had on there, Richie talks too much, Richie talks too much, Richie talks too much, and my parents always, Richie, 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 talking too much, well, I felt like I always had something to say, and I don't know how many times, and if you're like me there, if you talk too much, back when I was a kid there, sentences, uh, you had to write you know, hundreds of sentences, I will not talk in class, Richie will not talk in class, <laughs> I promise not to talk as much in class, and it's not that I was ever disrespectful, it's just I always felt like I had a lot to say. Well, that, of course, is carried on through my life because that's just who I am, and it's not that I ever tried to push that away, however... My, my true calling was always right there, 
but I thought it was something different. I thought it was something different. I thought it was something different, and it kind of circles back around. And that's kind of what made this podcast possible and why I'm so excited to be here talking to you today. And when I go and give uh, speeches and presentations and seminars, why I feel, I mean, this is it. I'm finally doing what I was born to do. Now, it was always there. I guess I always knew and felt that. But just because you know something doesn't mean it's going to provide the roadmap in order to do it. You're going to have to work extremely hard. And um, here lately, I've been hearing more of a, oh, gosh, you got so lucky. You got so this and so that. Well, I'm a big believer in you create your own luck. I, I used to think that, too. So if you're thinking that, I'm telling you, I saw, I thought the same thing. Man, he got lucky. Oh, that oh, it must be nice, which is one of the comments I absolutely despise when people say that. Oh, it must be nice. It must be nice. Well, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Kind of like look at an iceberg, for instance. On an iceberg, you see the top of the iceberg, you know, a little bit that's protruding out above the, uh, the water in the ocean, but you don't see the foundation, and that's the strength of it. And that's the level of success with anybody who's built a level of success or has become successful or has achieved their mission in life. All that work underneath that nobody ever sees, that's what's formulated just so you can have a little bit of a peek, poke out on the top that everybody can see and then say, oh, it must be nice or, oh, you got lucky. Now, I'm telling you this because I used to think the same way. It was a very, very uh, scarcity mindset. And a scarcity mindset was, well, if you're successful, that means I guess I can't be successful. Now, think about those words. That's absolutely ridiculous. But I know there's a bunch of you out there that, that think that way. And it's okay. I thought that way too. But I'm telling you, that's the wrong mindset. The, the right mindset is know that it takes a lot of hard work. And instead of being envious and jealous of other people that have achieved success, pick their brain. Talk to them. Ask them how it happened. And by the way, envy and jealousy to me is the most cowardly, weakest emotion there is. Absolute weakest, cowardly emotion. Because what you're saying is you're saying that this person who is successful, who's worked their butt off, done all the things like the bottom of the iceberg that we've never seen is better than you. Well, no, no one is better than you. Yeah, they've achieved success, but you have no idea what they went through. But here's the thing about most successful people. If you ask them, they will be more than happy to share stories with you and tell you different ways of what they did in order to get there. Now, is your vision the same as their vision? No, chances are it's not. However, success leaves clues. And I, I, I'll tell you, I've got all kinds of stories floating around the mind right now. But at uh, one of our uh, families at the academy, uh, this young lady has kind of started a venture, uh, and she's I'm very, very proud of her. And I mentioned to her that I'd be more than happy to help you avoid some of the pitfalls that I've made throughout the, uh, the course of moving through my lucky success. And I say that obviously being silly here. Uh, our success last, last month, we uh, celebrate our 20th year anniversary with the academy and the business. 20 years. Started that baby in February of uh, 1997. So got all kinds, like I said, stories floating around. You know what? Maybe I'll touch on that story uh, in a second here, and then I'll go back to kind of how my life really changed in the last five years. So that story, uh, I mentioned to her about that, and she had said, well, I don't want to be as big as Grogan's Martial Arts. And I, and I really was taken back by that because I don't, I don't think we're that big. We're definitely not as big and successful as I want to be and I know we can be. And my level of success is not about making more money. Now, 
money is, yeah, you need money in order to pay the bills. And I've been on both sides of the fence. I've had no money, been stressed out of my mind, have had uh, bankruptcies, <laughs> foreclosures on houses, cars repossessed. I lost my beautiful Harley Davidson, which I sold to start the business in 97. Anyway, that's all the struggles, which I'll touch on. Uh, um, you know what? I'll touch on that when talking about how we started the business. But uh, all those things, that's stressful. And then I've been able to pay my bills. And then I'll be able to, you know, provide food for my family and live in a nice house. And then, of course, give a ton more to charity than I was able to give before. And uh, that's such a good feeling. And I'm one of those guys, when I go downtown St. Louis to go to a Blues game or a Cardinal game, I see the people on the street, my kids automatically know. It's kind of weird. Well, they're programmed. They're conditioned. When we're coming out of the stadium, uh, my son Austin will say, hey, Dad, do you have a dollar for that guy? And Madeline, my daughter, she knows it. Even Emmett, my 8-year-old, which I, you know, I'm standing right by him. It's not like anything's going to happen to him. But they know that I'm always going to give at least 2 or $3 in their, their, their cup there. Now people say, well, all they're going to do is use it for alcohol or use it for cigarettes or, or do this or that. You know what? I don't care. All I know is that makes me feel better about what I'm doing. And that person... We don't know their situation. They, they could have been a, a, a you know Vietnam veteran, for all I know. They're definitely homeless. Nobody wants to be out there asking for money. You talk about swallowing your pride and humility. So if they are spending on beer and cigarettes, if that makes them happy, you know what? Make them happy for a day. It's not going to kill me to give them $1 or $2. It's the least I can do. And I try and think, you know what? God put them on the earth just like they did me. They've had a little rougher journey. I don't know their background, but I know I've got a dollar or two that I can give them, and that's the right thing to do. Help them out. And here's the, here's the gift, the gift of giving. Not only does it make you feel good, but I tell you this, I don't know how many times when I've put that dollar or $2 in there or my son, and like I said, it's not like I'm sending them over by themselves. I'm with him. I'm a realist. This, we, are in a, we live in a violent society, and not everybody is on the uppity up. Uh, but being a martial arts 40 years, I think I've got things covered in that regard. Which, by the way, is, is a beautiful peace of mind. It's something I talk to people about all the time in regards to, you know, how great would that make you feel to know you can go just about anywhere in the world, any city in the United States or even in the world, and feel comfortable that you can protect yourself. Now, I'm not saying you go in, you know, uh, uh, oh, where is it? Oakland, California at night during the worst, <laughs> uh, worst areas in the world, and, or, or I'm sorry, worst streets. At Philadelphia at night and some of the bad neighborhoods and walk around like, hey, anybody tax me, I got this covered. No, that, that's being ridiculous. A huge part of martial arts and a huge part of knowing self-defense and self-protection techniques and strategies is self-awareness. Don't put yourself in situations that you have to use uh, uh, your physical and mental and emotional knowledge to protect yourself. I'm just saying if those things happen and you've done everything you can as far as awareness to avoid them, you're not putting yourself uh, as a choice in a bad situation, you're going to be just fine. But no, going up and handling that, but that's something I mention all the time, especially we've got a women's self-defense class coming up uh, uh, tonight. I've got one for a charitable organization for the Multiple Sclerosis Foundation, and that's another beautiful thing that I wasn't able to do before uh, simply because I didn't have the time. I was so focused on just trying to pay the bills, I wasn't able to give back like we're doing now. Uh, we did something for the fire department, taught a self-defense class for firefighters and first responders and traveling to more schools. And that's the success ladder and being smarter, which I'm going to touch on in a minute with uh, the people I've surrounded myself with in the last five years that have allowed that to happen. And 
Success builds on success. Feeling good about things is going to motivate and inspire you to feel good and do other things as well. But anyway, back to the story of kind of giving money to the homeless uh, uh, people outside of uh, Bush Stadium and Scott Trade Center there where the Blues and the uh, Cardinals play. We'll throw them a dollar or two or whatever. And then, you know what? It's that power of influence. Other people behind me will see us doing that or seeing my uh, son or daughter doing that. And they'll be, you know what? I should probably do that too. I should probably do that too. Where nobody in front of us has done it. And I'm not saying, oh, praise me because I give money to those that need it. I'm just saying it's the right thing to do. And by doing that right thing, it inspires other people to do the right thing as well. And, um, and obviously that person that's getting... Wow, now they've got 4 or $5 in their cup. And once again, what are they going to do with it? You know, I don't know, and I truly, I, I, I don't care if it helps them get a sandwich or helps them if they want that cigarette or that uh, beer that's going to help them get through another day, so be it. That's, that's, that's their life, but I know I can do what I can to at least motivate and inspire them to be a little bit better. And that's kind of the power of success where before I was like, oh, boy, you know, I can't even pay my own bills. Am I really going to give this guy 2 or $3? Well, it's kind of a crazy thing. The more you give, the more you try and help others, the more you're going to get right back. So that's my message on that. Uh, you know, continue to give, continue to uh, feel good about your choices, and just do the right thing. So let's jump on back to the business. 20 years ago, 1997. So this is how this uh, thing started. Now, I always felt, well, you know what, I'm going to get sidetracked again because i got to give a plug for my book that's coming out. It's called Square Peg Round Hole. Why try to fit in when you were born to stand out? And essentially, this book is about kind of my life growing up being that square peg, always trying to fit in that proverbial round hole, always feeling like, you know what, I need to be like others. I need to do this. I need to try and fit in. And I'm not saying I'm an outcast. However, I I knew that I was a little bit different, and I thought that was a bad thing. And what I mean by that is I grew up on a farm. I grew up, um, goodness gracious, uh, it was like 15, 10, 15 miles outside of uh, Granite City, Granite City, Illinois, <laughs> um, farm boy. Well, Granite City was the nearest uh, school district. Now, I grew up on a place called Shoto Island, and we had a farm out there. So I was a farm boy. Being a farm boy meant, you know, got up early. We had a milk cow, just one milk cow that we milked by hand. We had, uh, goodness gracious, at one point in time, a dozen horses and over a dozen cows. And the cows would, you know, fatten up and then take to the slaughter, and that would be our meat. But uh, part of that, learning the good hard work ethic of in the stalls, shoveling the poo, you know, and I tell you what, if you've never done that before, that is, and I didn't know it was a humbling experience because I didn't know any different. All I knew is when I would have the city boys, as my parents would call them, come over, they didn't usually stay more than one day because they, they had, I had, they did the chores with me. So we're out there and like, man, this stuff sucks. I say, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just what I do. But um shoveling that and then I could mention out milking the cows and then over the summer would be baling hay and another time we'd have the city boys come over and uh, bale the hay and that that's another job that whoo because when do you bale hay the end of July early August the two hottest months of the year and that's just when the, the hay baling season is and you're out there and you know you really can't wear shorts simply because the uh, you buck the bales on your thighs, and then you throw them on the truck and the trailer as it's going on by. So shorts on, hay's going to cut you to ribbons, and you want to wear you know, your tank tops because you're hot and sweaty, but then your arms and everything else are getting just filleted with uh, the hay and the bales and everything else as you're trying to chuck those on the, the wagon. So it's extremely hard work as you're moving along. And I remember, I guess, what was it? I first started off, I was getting like a dime a bale of hay, 
And uh, my, my dad, who he grew up on a farm as well, that's kind of why that passed on down, he used to tell me he used to get a half a penny a bale. And I think, a half a penny? How the heck does that work? Matter of fact, I was telling the, uh, the, our team at the academy the other day a, a little story about that. And they said, a half a penny? Will you cut a penny in half? I said, no, you have to throw two bales of hay to even make one penny. And you're like, oh, well, that, that's not bad. Well, if you think about, do the math here, and I guess maybe I should do the math now that I'm trying to think about it here. But um, um, what, what is that? I guess uh, she's trying to tell me about 200 bales of hay, and that would be divided by 0.5. Four bucks. Woo! <laughs> uh, insane. Think about that for a minute. Wow. But and, and the average, you know, you could probably get in maybe – if you started at the very beginning of the day and the end of uh, uh, at the night, 400 bales of hay maybe. I mean, that's pushing it. I mean, that's really bucking some hay there with a, a good uh, five-man crew. But most of the time it was three. You'd have one guy on each side of the trailer, a guy driving, which is usually the farmer or um, whoever you're doing the hay for would be driving the tractor. And then one guy on the um, on the trailer itself. So two, one guy on each side of the trailer throwing them up. The guy on the trailer would be stacking the hay bales. And then, of course, the stacker, he's getting double worked, uh, but he's on the trailer, so he doesn't have to actually buck the bales up there until the, the stack starts getting pretty high. However, he's got to do a good job to make sure he's not only keeping up, but stacking it in a good pattern so when we drive down the road, the hay bales don't fall off, which has happened many times before. Now, it's not how many times you handle the hay bales. Here, I'm talking about baling hay here, getting everybody like, think about this. It's a little story, right? Can you, can you see the hay? Can you visualize the tractors with the hay stacked up? Can you smell the hay? Can you see the scratches on our arms and legs? There you go. Now you're getting a visualization of what's going on here. But anyway, um, you get for how many bales that actually make it into the barn. Meaning, if you bust a bale of hay, you don't get paid for that. If the stack falls down and you have to restack it, you don't get paid for that. You only get paid for the number of bales that actually make it to the barn, and then <laughs> once you get to the barn, you gotta take the stack down and then stack it nice and neat in the barn. And uh, I've got such major goofed up allergies and sinuses nowadays, and I'm sure that's from being in a barn with no, you know, I don't say no windows because, uh, um, well, you just don't have windows in the barn. There, You can't have the rain coming in getting the hay, old steel sheds and all that dust and stuff in there. It was, it was pretty vicious. And once again, we're in the end of July, early August, so it's nice hot months of the season out there uh, baling the hay. So there you go, a little hay baling story there. Uh, I'm not sure how that got off on that for the business. Anyway, uh, talking about what making, uh, uh, growing up, that's what it was, growing up outside on a farm and developing that work ethic. So I will touch more on that maybe in a later podcast, but I really want to tell you about how the business started. So I got married to my wonderful, beautiful wife, Desi, in uh, August of 1996, and I've always had the kind of the, the you're here to read this in the book here, these thoughts of being standing out. I always wanted to fit in that proverbial round hole, I always wanted to be a city kid, because, well, I love sports, and I, these guys seemed like they had it all going on. They're all friends together, and I was kind of the outside guy. Now, I felt like I had charisma. I didn't know what the word charisma was, but I was always nice, always accepting. Uh, but what I found with everybody crammed in that proverbial round hole, and it's the same way with life and society today, everybody in that hole is just trying to all fit in to be the same, but yet they're still all poking pop shots at each other. So what I mean by that 
is I was kind of the outsider, so I wanted to get in there. So I just tried to be friends with this guy. Well, he's talking about his best friend, and he's talking about his best friend. And I wasn't smart enough at the time to realize, well, if they're talking about somebody else, they're probably talking about me too. But, you know, as a kid, you don't get that stuff. You don't understand that stuff. And to be honest, I was even, well, as an adult, I still didn't get that for the longest time because having a good heart and a hard worker and this and that and taught to respect people, you think, well, I wouldn't do that to them. Why in the heck are they doing that to me? But the truth of the matter is people do those things. Not everybody thinks the way you think, and that's kind of the essence of the book, Square Peg, Round Hole. Why try to fit in when you were born to stand out? So I always kind of was on the outskirts there um, and trying to fit in, even though I really didn't fit in. And those that are out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Definitely buy a copy of the book when it comes out, and hopefully it touches uh, you and inspires you to say, hey, I'm not the only one. You're not. Most people, after doing tons of research, have those feelings, those emotions, but it's easier just to cram in that proverbial round hole and stay there being uncomfortable than it is to get outside. Because outside there, that's when you're alone, you take all the pop shots, and that's when everybody, uh, you're you're on your own. Nobody likes to be on their own. So I'm not saying go totally uh, conformity sucks mindset and you're way out there, but I am saying be you, okay? Be the person you were born to be. So back to the the uh, the business got married '96 and um, had a, just a ton of jobs going through working for farmers as I mentioned not only baling hay but shoveling poo and uh, cleaning stalls and building barns repairing barns walking bean fields uh, cutting grass I was cutting grass since I was like eight years old with big huge tractors and you know it was a <laughs> that was the mindset too everything was a game to me. And the game mindset was anytime I'm cutting grass, I visualized that I was cutting grass at Bush Stadium and it was a competition to see who could cut the grass the best and have the best lines in the grass. And then, you know, then, of course, I won the championship and got to go to New York and Yankee Stadium. I'm cutting the grass. Oh, yeah. So my visualization was always out there. I mean, whoo. But to me, I did everything I could to make things as fun as I could, uh, because obviously cutting grass, I mean, some people love it. Uh, you know, uh, what Bobby Boucher, water boy, he loved it, right? But most people don't enjoy cutting grass, uh, especially as a kid. But I had to do it. I had no choice. It was one of those things. And uh, I remember a lesson dad told me years ago. And then I, I, one of my mentors now, his name is uh, Kiyoshi Dave Kovar. He's got uh, eight martial arts academy academies, excuse me, out in uh, Sacramento, California. Wonderful, wonderful man. And I never heard <laughs> this before. So his father was in World War II, which is still alive today. Excellent man. I got a chance to meet him not too terribly long ago. And he's definitely cut from the same fabric that my father, who served honorably in Vietnam, was cut from because they, they said the same thing. Now, Kiyoshi Kovar's father, I think, is 96. 95 or 96 now, and my father's considerably younger. He was in Vietnam, not World War II. He's seven, he'll be 73 uh, Friday. Oh, my gosh. Oh, today's Friday. I'm sorry, the 5th. So i got to make sure I give him a call and tell Dad happy birthday. But anyway, Dad said to me, I said, Dad, I don't like to cut grass. And <laughs> here's Dad's approach to just about everything in life. I don't care if you like it or not. you got to do it. Oh, okay. So it was one of those, well, like it or not, you're doing it. And there was no argument with dad. So, and then here all these years later, here Kiyoshi Kovar talk about this, about how his dad said pretty much the same thing. It's not a matter if you like it or not, you got to do it. So find a way to make it fun and do it. Now that's kind of what his dad said. My dad just 
boom, drop the hammer. I don't give a crap. If you don't like it or not, get out there and do it because I told you to do it. Okay. So my mindset was to make it as fun as possible. So when I'm cutting the grass. I'm trying to think of that. I'm out shoveling and uh, never forget this. I was telling this story just the other day. I'm out there shoveling up horse and cow poop, and it's mostly horse in the stalls there. You guys are like, what the heck is he talking about now? But I got a point here. <laughs> shoveling it, and I would throw the uh, horse poo in the air and try and hit it with a shovel or try and launch it across as far as I could to get into the wheelbarrow. Why? I was trying to make a game out of it. So, you know, I'd shovel it up, throw it up, and I'd work on my hitting because, you know, it was a I guess average baseball players. I got older, I got a little bit better because I got smarter on how to analyze the game. Just like hockey and everything else I did, I didn't quite have it all. I just knew I had to work hard as a kid, but I really didn't have the smarts to go along with it. But throwing it up, throwing it up, well, dad came out, and (laughs) here I've got horse poop all over the barn walls. And he's like, what in the heck are you doing? What are you doing? I'm sorry, dad. I was uh, trying to make a game out of it. And, of course, then Dad, not everything's a game here, boy. Everything you think is a game in life, and you need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. And you know what? As a kid, I never understood that from my dad. Now, and you've heard me talk about this before, the relationship I have with my dad is better than it's ever, ever been. Uh, A few podcasts ago, I talked about having a cup of coffee with my dad, which is the first time that's ever happened in my adult life or kid life. I didn't drink coffee as a kid. I don't drink too much as an adult either, but uh, um, simply because I don't need it. (laughs) I bounce off the walls anyway, but it was was awesome. And uh, we'll tie more into that um, at a later podcast, or you can listen to the previous one. I think it's titled Cup of Coffee with Dad. Anyway, he'd come out and, you know, horse poops all over the barn walls. Some's on the freaking ceiling and the roof because, you know, that was a home run. And, you know, so what I have to do, I had to get up and clean it off there. And dad didn't understand what was going on. But I tried to make a game out of it. Now, the reason I tell you this, one, I think it's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> think about the kick and life guru. And, yes, I did punch and kick poop just to be gross and disgusting. I did have gloves on and boots, but, you know, everything had to be a game. The reason I tell you that is... I have found, and looking back on my life there, that I've tried to use that same concept not of, uh, of making a game of everything you do to make it more fun. So if you're stuck in a day-in and day-out monotonous job, hopefully you know you're better than that and you're taking active measures and active steps to better your life and get into a position or a job that is for you that you feel better about, but try and make it as fun as, as possible. Don't work just to get through the day because, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, once that day is gone, it's gone. It's over. You're never getting it back, and you're one step. You have one less day to live, one less day to be the person you were born to be. So as grueling as your job may be, do your very best to make it as fun as you can, and if you hate your job actively right now, as soon as you're done listening to the podcast, of course, because I want to—I've got a few more things for you here. Start taking measures. Start taking steps to improve your life, and that is listening to more podcasts like this. Start reading motivational books. Start surrounding yourself with different people. Start taking active steps to self-educate to do something different. And of course, the, all the naysayers. Well, yeah, easier said than done. Oh, that's easy for you to say. That's easy for this. You know, I read once uh, something about uh, Stephen King, and it said. Stephen King is author of, uh, um, you know, uh, I guess I don't say horror books, but I guess they are. Uh, they're definitely intense and inspiring. Uh, not inspiring, but, uh, well, some of them are. But, 
uh, like well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's kind of an, an odd book that I guess it's not one of his most popular ones, but it's one of my favorites from him. It's called Eyes of a Dra- Eyes Through, Through the Eyes of a Dragon by Stephen King, and it just talks about battling through, overcoming adversity and challenges, and not giving up. And of course, some of his books are way out there, like Christine, which uh, was a movie. I like that one too, but. Uh, the one I'm t- focusing on right now, Through the Eyes of a Dragon, it was all about that perseverance and battling through. But Stephen King was interviewed once, and well, many times, but this one interview, he said what he does is he sets aside this time to not only write, but research and have his shutdown time in order to, be, uh, to stimulate his creative side. Now, others would say, well, yeah, he can do that because he's Stephen King. Well, he said, which was really a, a right hook of reality for me, He says, no, because I did that, that's why I'm Stephen King. Meaning, before he was Stephen King, he had that game plan, that ritual set in place that he was going to do these things, and that developed him as the author. So the mindset of, yeah, well, he's got time, I don't. Well, I don't know uh, all his background, but the point is, he set that in place, and that's who created Stephen King. And the more research I've done, not only Stephen King, but other successful people, that's what they have done. So they were all in jobs and all in situations of things they didn't like, but they disciplined themselves to do the self-education, to do what they could to pursue their passion, dreams, and visions to be their very best, and that's who's created them today. So if you're out there, like I mentioned, in a job that you absolutely hate, a job that's going nowhere, a job and the people that you're around are bringing you down, start today to start self-educating. So, and that kind of brings into the five years ago, and I'm looking at the clock here. I'm already at 30 minutes. Holy cow. I've been talking about shoveling poo and cutting grass for 30 minutes. I guess I have. <laughs> well, hopefully, you, you, you got a good, oh, I forgot about bailing hay. Yes, that's a good one. And those that have never done that, you know what? Farmers are always looking for help. It, that, that's, that's kind of a life-changing event. Go out in the heat of July or August and just ask them. So, uh, one of my last times bailing hay, just to recap, or just close this little loop here. Uh, I was in high school and we got a quarter of bail. So we got a major significant increase, a quarter of bail. Wow. But once again, you only get paid for the ones you do. So we're bailing those. We did like 300 bales and a farmer comes by and sees us. He goes, Hey boys, um, I've got a thousand bales of straw that I'd like you to do. Now here's the difference between hay and straw. Hay has, uh, it's packed really, really tight and it's got uh, alfalfa in there. And alfalfa is the, um, uh, uh, not alfalfa from the little rascals, but <laughs> alfalfa is actually the, um, uh, I, I, what am I trying to say here? I'll say the root or the, uh, uh, but it's what the horse is like. But that's the stuff that's real dusty as well. Makes you really sneeze. Anyway, they're much, much heavier. So hay bales on average weigh anywhere from on a light side 40 pounds to anywhere from 65 to 70 pounds, depending on how pa- how hard they pack those babies with the hay. Now, the tighter they pack them, of course, the more that break, which really, you know, you're going to throw that sucker up on top of the wagon and it breaks and falls all over you. But anyway, straw is significantly lighter. I'm talking to the tune of, you know, a light straw bale, maybe 10 pounds, a heavier one, maybe 35, 40 pounds. But anyway, he said he's got a thousand bales of straw for us to knock out in two days and he'll pay us a quarter of a bale. And uh, the, the city guys that were helping me out, they're like, oh man, I don't know. I said, no, nah, straw is so much lighter. Guys, we can bust this out. We'd be done in a day and a half. Well, we didn't know that this farmer had the hay baling mindset that he's going to pack these babies as tight as he could. And uh, those were the heaviest doggone bales of straw I've ever, ever chucked. And I bet out of 1,000 bales, we probably had 150 of them break. 
and <laughs> once again, you're throwing that thing out there and it breaks and you're all sweaty and that stuff comes back in your face. What a mess. But uh, anyway, we got a whole quarter of bail for that. So booyah. Um, but yeah, this summer, when summer gets around here, if you're looking for an experience, you want to be a, a farmer or a cowboy or see how tough baling hay is, get out there in July and August. And uh, I don't know what they're paying nowadays. Maybe you'll, you'll make 30 cents a bale. Who knows? Uh, they probably just play a, f- a flat rate nowadays, but get out there and check it out. Okay. So I have circled. I have bo- uh, bobbed and weaved. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I've uh, thrown a few right hooks of reality, some round kicks at you. So let me touch base because the clock's a ticking here. Back when we started the business. So 1997, it's uh, February of 97, and I'd been reading the best I could, I guess, about success books and motivational quotes and posts, and I would read them haphazardly here and there, but I always felt like I could do something different. So at this time in 97, I'm a coffee salesman, and uh, I I guess I was pretty good at it. I enjoyed it, Uh, but it just, I don't know, when when I worked for a company, I felt restricted by the walls. I had to play by their rules. I couldn't do this because policy said you couldn't. And that's why right now at the academy, we have principles, not policies. And what I mean by that, policies say this, this, and this, and that's what you got to do. Well, principles, we base our principal decisions on our four core values, honor, integrity, discipline, and respect. So those are the principles. So yeah, we've got some leeway to make adjustments if need be, as long as they don't breach our core values of honor, integrity, discipline, and respect. So anyway, it's maybe two in the morning, and I read this quote, and it was in a little book that my grandma gave me that uh, um, it was, uh, what is the name of the book? God's the Little Helper. So it was, it was talking, it have a motivational quote, and then it would have a Bible verse to go along with that. And the quote was, a man can never explore new oceans if he's afraid to leave the shore. I read that one, and it was like a, a light from above, boop, shining down on me. And I'm like, this is it. Oh, my gosh. So I wake up my wife of less than six months, and I tell her, Des, I'm going to quit my job. She, You're going to do what? She says, yeah, I'm going to do it. Well, she went back to bed. <laughs> she, she thought I was, well, <laughs> the poor thing. They, you talk about an angel who's got a first uh, class pass to heaven. That's my wife. Uh, she, she's put up with a lot, which I could talk for probably the rest of our lives about all the wonderful things she's done to help me overcome uh, all the things and all the challenges I've thrown at her. But anyway, so I get up from bed at two in the morning and go on on a word processor. Now, our younger crowd out there is probably thinking, what in the heck is a word processor? Well, that's what we had before we had, uh, I mean, computers were out, obviously, but we couldn't afford one, so we had a word processor. And I type up my resignation to the coffee company I was with. And me being me, you know, most people could type things up in about 20 minutes. It took me about two hours because, well, it was two in the morning, but I wanted to make sure it was right. And I want to make sure it wasn't too long. I want to make sure it wasn't too short and back and forth. So about four, I wake, <laughs> wake Desi up and I say, hon, can you read this over? She goes, well, what is this? I said, well, I told you I'm typing up my resignation to quit my job. She goes, I thought I was dreaming. You're doing what? I said, yeah. I said, read this over. I'm, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to go and quit my job. Well, she's kind of, well, I guess it was a good time to tell her because she was still half asleep. So from then, she reads it over, goes back to bed, and I guess she thought it was a dream. I drive over to St. Louis where the coffee company was and turn in my resignation, and I'm back in two hours, and <laughs> she's like, what are you doing home? I said, well, I, I, I quit my job. She goes, you did what? So you can see how that transpired. Now, she was more forgiving than her parents. Her parents are like, 
what in the heck have you got yourself into here? You've been married for less than six months, and this yahoo has quit his job? Well, Desi had it covered, man. She was a uh, uh, a nurse. She was my sugar mama. She was going to take care of everything. Now, I wasn't just going to be a deadbeat. I actually went back to school. And to be honest with you, I was not the best college student. I'm the guy that took uh, 10 years to get a two-year degree and then two years to get a four-year degree. So figure that one out. Yeah, once I, I guess I got my mindset and focus on what I was wanting to do, I, I, I did it. But um, anyway, so right then and there, February 1997, Grogan's Martial Arts and Fitness was founded. Boom. And I'll tell you what, I knew everything about everything, and I had the right answers. I had the right approach I was going to take on the world. And, oh, man, this guy, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to do better than this. Bang, 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 bang. I had it all figured out. You know, I was, what, was I 20, 26 maybe? So I knew everything about everything. I knew more than a teenager, so think about that. Well, of course, here comes the right hook of reality, knocks my butt down, and I mean, it hit me hard. Maybe I don't know everything. Ah, you know what? That's okay. I planned on getting hit once or twice. I can bounce back from this. So I want to share this with you. I, everybody told me that it's tough. You're going to be told no. Just, you know, it's going to be hard. I thought, you know what? I grew up on a farm. I grew up shoveling poo, bailing hay. I grew up overcoming all kinds of challenges and adversity. I grew up doing this and that. I got it, man. There's nobody as tough as I am. And I realized I guess I wasn't the smartest person, but I figured just drive, determination, and passion would get me through. Well, I never, ever, ever could have visualized and anticipated all the times that life, business, society, the world, kicked my butt. I mean, it kicked the living snot out of me. And oh, Rocky, when I hear that speech that you hear me give quite often when he's talking to his son and Rocky Balboa, that nothing hits harder than life. It's not about how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Man, I hear that. I say that. I get goosebumps. I get chills because it's true. So future entrepreneurs out there, anybody starting a business, I'm telling you, be prepared. It will knock you down and beat you down. Now, here's the thing. This gets all back to, I guess, 30 minutes ago when I started talking about this. A lady was asking me, and the story I, wanted, I shared with her and the story I want to share with others out there, I want to help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I, have, that I made, a lot of mistakes that I made, a lot of the challenges that I created for myself that I didn't need to. And the reason, not only do I want you to be successful, but, and that's a big but, You are going to make so many mistakes on your own. Why repeat the same mistakes that I made? Why repeat mistakes that I can help you avoid? And that's the whole thing. And I'm not going to be able to get to it today. I'm sorry. It'll be on the next podcast about the last five years and the people I've surrounded myself with. But I'm telling you from experience, and of course, there's no 100% solution here, but the majority of successful people who've battled through the hard knocks They see others who have the dreams, aspirations, and desires to be more than they are right now. Man, that is so rewarding. I and others want to help you become your very best. And, you know, it's not one of those we're doing that because we want something in return. Now, some are. You know, granted, that's just how it is. Uh, And here's the thing. Uh, A lot of people say that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's totally false. And it does not and I'm saying again, does not say that in the Bible. What it says in the Bible is money is a root of all evil. But you know what else is? Alcohol, (laughs) drugs, uh, 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 envy, right, and jealousy. 
gluttony and all the others, that's a root of all evil. Because anything that takes over your life and that is the sole focus of your life is a root to all evil. So money is not the root. It's a root if you let it be. So here's the thing that I found over the years. If you're a a (laughs) a-hole, a jerk, rude, mean, bully, not a good person when you don't have money and then you accumulate a lot of money and wealth, then all you're going to do is be an accelerated a-hole, jerk, mean person, bully. That's all it's going to do. It's going to accelerate and personify who you already were. If you're a good person before, it's, and as long as you don't allow that to take over your life, you're going to be a good person that can do more now that you have achieved a certain level of success and wealth. So I always like to uh, throw that in there because so many times, and I'll tell you what, I'm telling you from experience because that was my mindset before, that anybody that was successful and wealthy, well, they must have cheated somebody. They must have did this and that because I didn't have the right mindset to understand growth. So the message I shared with her and the message I'm sharing with you is get with somebody, get with others that have achieved the level of success that you want to achieve, that are doing the things you want to do. And it may not be even in the same business, but entrepreneurship, success, motivation, being a good person, there's a lot of good people out there. But unfortunately, and you hear me talk about this all the time, the news media doesn't shine a very bright picture on that. They don't because that doesn't sell. Sensationalism and negativity, unfortunately, is what sells. So the business started, and like I said, you know, I had it all figured out, but lo and behold, I didn't. Oh, my gosh. And uh, one, I've got uh, time for one little recap or one last story here and kind of tie it all in together. So with the business, what it was, Grogan's Martial Arts and Fitness, yeah, it had martial arts base, but it was also the fitness base. And I taught aerobics, and I taught aerobics for over 15 years. There you go, kicking life guru, teaching aerobics. I really enjoyed that. And it was kickboxing aerobics, water aerobics, step aerobics, and uh, some high-intensity stuff where, you know, just, uh, uh, we was call it 30, 20, 10, 30 minutes of, uh, 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 well, I, I switched it around. It was 30 minutes of weights, 20 minutes of cardio, and then 10 minutes of stretching and cool down. But it was, uh, but I enjoyed it, but that was part of it. So what I decided I was going to film, I was going to film my very own exercise video. And I labeled it Kick to Get Fit. Now, I went uh, and got that name trademarked. And getting something trademarked back in uh, the late 90s wasn't like it is today where everything's online. You actually had to go to the trademark. And they had one big office in St. Louis and figure this stuff out on your own. To be honest, my first word I came up with was aerobics, karate aerobics. But somebody in Arizona had already trademarked that, so I had to switch gears a little bit. And uh, just to come up with a name, just so you know, it took pages and pages and pages of just good old brainstorming to try and come up with it. So and that's pen and paper is still the best. Anytime I'm trying to figure something out, I just get back to old writing, pen and paper, pen and paper. Because once pen hits paper, that's when the magic begins. So uh, Kick to Get Fit had all the things in place, and I know nothing about writing scripts. Now, I'd wrote lesson plans for uh, teaching martial arts, lesson plans for my aerobic classes and everything else, but as far as putting a script together, you know, I did the best I could on that, and I was on an extremely limited budget. What happens? I've got it set to film January 9th, 1999. Think about the date there, one January 9th, 1999, right? That's the day we're going to film this, baby. And what happens in September of 98? Tybo comes out. What the heck is this? Who is this guy? Billy Blanks and Tybo. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy just, you know, of course, I'll say he stole my thunder. He, and once again, that's what was my mindset. But the truth be told, he's 
now a few years older than I am, considerably older. You hear that, Billy? You're older than I am. <laughs> he is older, but not considerably. But anyway, he, he'd been working in uh, kind of B-rated movies and Hollywood for years upon years upon years, and he did get to star in a few action movies along with that. But my mindset was, oh, my gosh, this guy in California is going to steal my thunder. He's going to steal all this, and who the heck's going to know who Rich Grogan is in the Midwest? Well, turn to find out, nobody knew who Rich Grogan was, and to be honest, nobody cared. And uh, that was a nice another right hook of reality. So anyway, his video comes out in Tybo Nation. Boom! Takes off. So even though I've been working on this for a better part of two years, planning this thing, it, here it is. Now, the next thing I know, everyone has their own version of Tybo. So how do I make a ruckus? How do I stand out in the crowd? Well, I went forward. I'm putting this thing out. I filmed it, got it all done, set in the editing studio. It was kind of a B-rated editing studio. Now, we did the best we could with the budget we had and got this thing going, designed a cover, got it all out, and was, I don't know, kind of feeding off a little bit of the Tybo wave. Well, I knew nothing about a barcode. You have to have a barcode in order to sell this thing in retail locations. The two and a half to three months it took me to get the barcode, because once again, you couldn't do anything online back then. You had to physically ship this stuff back and forth, and it was a lot of fax. Yeah, uh, you know what? I don't even know if we had, I don't think I had email back then. Maybe just start of email. Yeah, I guess we did. But uh, it was just kind of the start of it. So during that small window, when I got my barcode, got everything shipped back out to this distribution company, I'd missed my opportunity. It was gone. Now I got thousands and thousands of these kick-to-get-fit VHS videotapes. They got the barcode on them, but no retail location wants them. Uh, I went to these trade shows and would only sell five or ten because they never heard of me. They never heard of this kick-to-get-fit. And everybody's got Tybo. It's the best thing ever. And I would mention what I'm doing. I'd get laughed at. It was a tough, tough battle and a struggle. So we went through and fast forward by 2001. I, uh, um, I was still going to college. I went back, to, like I mentioned, to college to get my degree in kinesiology. So I graduated in May of 2001. <laughs> in July of 2001, poof, bankrupt. Lost absolutely everything I had. And uh, now starting all over again. So I'm going to leave you with this. What did I do in 2002? This is what a knucklehead I am and what a saint my wife is. I filmed three more Kick to Get Fit videos. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Well, I felt like I had this approach. I felt like I had a little bit better. Now, they did considerably better than the first one. As a matter of fact, the kids, Kick Get Fit Junior, which is the name of it, Kick Get Fit Junior for Kids, it's still selling today on Amazon. Now, sales have really, uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost ran its, 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 its uh, uh, way, but uh, this is actually the October will be the 15th year anniversary for that one. And people that buy it nowadays, especially some kids at the studio, they'll ask, is that your younger brother on the on the cover? No, that's that's me 15 years ago. <laughs> but we, we only sell about 30, 35 a month now. But it's well paid for itself, which is awesome. And it's done really, really well, uh, far better than any of the other videos. But my whole point about this is be that square peg. Don't try and fit in that proverbial round hole. Surround yourself with successful people. Do not be afraid to work hard and know that life, it's not a matter of if it knocks you down, but when it knocks you down, get back up. And as long as you get back up one more time than you've been knocked down, that's another opportunity. But do your best not to waste a day, not to waste an opportunity to do what you were born to do. 
Now, I know I talked about all kinds of stories and tried to tie them all in together there, a little bit of synopsis of what kind of uh, my background, and and I want to make it very clear. There's people that have had, I don't consider mine to be tough. I consider it to be, you know, challenging at times, but there are other people that have had far less and grew up a much, much harder life that have achieved a heck of a lot more than I have. And those are the people that I you know, aspire to be like. I want to pick their brain. I want to find out what they did, what they're doing now to continue to be successful. And that's what I want to offer to you. I want you to realize that nobody gets lucky. It's hard work. Think of an iceberg. An iceberg, very little, it sticks out of the top and that's what everybody sees. And that's what everybody automatically thinks, boof, success overnight. And, you know, i talked before about a reporter came in not too long of the academy and she had said oh my gosh just overnight boom overnight and I'm like you know 20 years overnight but that's what people don't see just know every person that's achieved success there's a big bottom of that iceberg that nobody ever sees and you out there aspiring to achieve success you've got to build that foundation and there are going to be times when you want to quit there are going to be times when you just want to say the heck with this I can't do this I don't want to do this why am I doing this well have that passion, have that desire. Leaving you with this thought. Steve Jobs said, you know, what makes successful people successful is the passion, desire, and ambition to achieve more. But you have to have that because without that, any sane person would give up and quit. Any sane person. So you have to be a little insane about your passion, your desire, your ambitions to change the world, to do something different. Because without that, any sane person would give up. So those out there that love hearing what I've got to say, and you've got that little bit of an insanity because you have that insane drive and desire, passion, and purpose to be something different, know the world's going to hit you. But also know you continue to work at it. You will be that top of the iceberg that pops out for everybody to see. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, as always, for listening. Please Post your comments, feedback, and please, by all means, share this with others because that's the way to help this thing grow. Of course, the more happy, successful people we have out there, the better our society, our world, our everything's going to be, and that's going to help us all live our best kick in life, live our best possible life. So as always, you can find us at lineupmedia.fm and on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And until we talk again, you get out there and do what you do best, and I promise you'll be your very best. Have a blessed day, everybody. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to another exciting Kickin' Life podcast. This is Master Rich Grogan, your Kickin' Life guru, reminding you you can find our podcast online at kickinlifepodcast.com or through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcast. Tune in next week, another exciting show coming your way. In the meantime, you get out there and do what you do best, and I promise you'll be your very best. Have a blessed day, everybody. Talk to you real soon. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.